When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like, super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. I hate to open up this way, but there's no knocks. There's no chocolate knocks. Battle for American minds. I don't even think we quite understand or realize what that battle is. Nice. So stick around for that. We got P. Hexeth coming up from Fox and Friends. Welcome to Cross Baltic on the Fight Life Feast Network. Pastor Toby, um, not Chalk Knox, the water boy, yeah. and nobody in that, that seat. Yeah. Yeah. See, we, we, we forgot our, uh, oh, yeah. our we, special. We like to put up a, a cardboard cutout sometimes of Joe Vandal. When Knox isn't here. Hey, are you all subscribed to our Cross Politic email list? If you're not, you really should be. Being subscribed to our email list means you won't miss any updates about Cross Politic or the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. You'll hear about what's on the schedule for the week, live events, conference updates, rowdy Christian merch, and who doesn't want rowdy Christian merch, updates from our other shows within the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, and you'll hear from sponsors of the show as they seek to take dominion for God's kingdom in the business world. To subscribe, simply enter your email address at the bottom of the page at fightlaughfeast.com. Again, go to fightlaughfeast.com. You'll see an email list. Enter your email address in there, and you'll be connected to all things cross-politic and the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. We're very grateful to have with us Mr. Pete Hegseth, currently serves as a co-host of Fox and Friends Weekend. He is an Army National Guard officer, former CEO of Concerned Veterans for America, and the author, co-author of The Battle for the American Mind. Pete, thanks for joining us on Cross Politics. Guys, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, um, Gabe, um, I, I, you, you I talked to, to him already, and you said you wanted to have the first question, so I'm giving it to you. Okay. So, uh, you know, Pete, we, we talked to him on the phone a, a couple weeks ago and, and yep. one of the things that struck me, I asked you, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who just asks straight up questions, even though I've, I'm, I've only met you one time or whatever. <laughs> and, and one of the things that struck me about you, like recently, you know, I followed your career for, for years. In fact, you will never remember this, but me and you met a long time ago at a conference when you were actually, I think we were working for concerned veterans for America. Really? Yeah. And it was in 2016 when, after we started the show and I said, Pete, I grabbed you in the, you know, you were speaking. And then afterwards, everyone was shaking their hand and everything. I came up and said, man, I host a podcast. I'd love to interview you. You gave me your business card. And uh, yeah, I said, reach out, connect with me. And so um, eight years later, I was able to schedule. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. It worked. Made good on it. Yeah, Made you, good on dude, it. Dude, you you hold your promises. And but um what I kind of had seen over it was this progression from, you know, you seemed more patriotic than Christian back then. And now it seems like, you know, you're more um sincere or more um, uh, you know, your Christian faith is more important than what it has been in the in the past. And I I'd just I'd love to kind of hear, you know, what 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 did Jesus do to you? <laughs> everything uh it, you know we had a pastor in new jersey it would have been 
2018 or 2019, mm-hmm. uh, who was, who changed my life, uh, changed the life of my, my wife, my family. And one of the things he said, which I think is so true for me, is that most people miss God by 12 inches between their head and their heart. Uh, they miss Jesus between 12 inches. And that was me. You know, I grew up in a Baptist church. I grew up intellectually believing the Bible is true, that it's good, that Jesus is good, that I should follow him. There are some rules I should follow. Maybe I'll just kind of follow the ones I want to, but I know I want to raise my kids that way. And I'll, it was, it was a Christian veneer with a secular core. And we talk about it in the book, Battle for the American Mind too. And then it's just a realization of the, my own brokenness and the bondage of sin. And that combined with uh, my kids and what I want them to value. And also writing books about politics that at the end of the day felt utterly incomplete to address um, the depravity and fallen nature of our world and what we face as a country. And only falling on my knees and saying, God, I give it all to you. And I, and there, there was a, there was a verse in James that um, talks about God's perfect law of liberty. And I had never thought about God's law as, I mean, I've been taught it, I'd heard it from pastors, I'm sure, from the pulpit over the years. But the idea that, you know, we are enslaved to sin and only God's perfect law frees us. And I have seen that every every day since, I don't know if it was a moment, I don't know if it was a service, I don't know where it was, but it was clear yeah. A calling uh, on my heart to say, follow Jesus, put him first. This country is going to fade away. Your job's going to fade away. Um, but his his love and what he's done for us never will. And I, so I've looked for every avenue since to try to infuse that into the work that I do, which is there's a lot of politics, a lot of patriotism, a lot of that. But um, without Jesus Christ as my savior, I'm I'm nothing. And uh, I try to, the other thing that that my pastor said is, you know, Andrew Breitbart said, politics is downstream of culture, and he's right. Mm. Uh, but culture is downstream of faith. We have a we believe in something, yeah. and our culture is awash in in uh, pagan and idolatrous faith. Uh, and I, I want to follow the, the you know the true Lord and Savior, and and have it emanate through what I do and pass it along to my kids. And so that transformation is real, and I'm so grateful for it. Praise God! You know. Um... Uh, I remember when I read Battle for American Minds, um, you had mentioned in your in in the book that you'd written past books that you kind of were searching for. You know, your your answer your answers for like fixing things was to be like more patriotic, like be more American or whatever. And in Battle for American Minds, you're like, well, uh, you know, that was not good enough, and you need more than being more American. Um, well. And, and and what we revealed in our research, and by the way, David Goodwin, I know is a friend of both of yours. This yep. book doesn't happen without him. It was a providential collaboration, yep. and and I'm so grateful for him. He's a dear friend, and and he's just the best. But the more you research it, you realize the left and progressives used allegiance to state. They used Ooh. patriotism right. as a vehicle to untether us from timeless truth, yep. from from the Bible, from the I mean. The, the cross and the Bible were replaced by the flag and a pledge. And that's really jarring for someone who has like nine flags behind them. <laughs> when you realize that was the tool. And so, hey, I'll say the pledge and I, pre, you know, I'm, I'm patriotic and I love this country, but um, that's not going to save us. And so it, the first two books I wrote is sort of a metamorphosis to 
Battle for the American Mind. And it was flirtation. It was all flirt, uh, flirting with civil religion and Americanism. Yeah. But it never felt like it got to where we really needed to be as far as a mindset. And we're hope we hope we got closer to the target for with Battle for the American Mind. I'm I'm curious. We we did have we had David Goodwin on uh, the show. I think maybe last year sometime, um, and talked to him uh, about it. it's great having it's shortly after the book was published. Yeah, having you on now, and I, I'm curious. Um, maybe um, what have you learned um, since the book's been out? I mean, huh. how how is the book maybe? Um, how is it done? What are the response been to the book? And then like, um, is there like, do you have other things sort of percolating even since you launched Battle for the American Mind? Yeah. I mean, glory to God. I, I, we, I spent a lot of time talking with David beforehand because he's been in the trenches of building this movement, this yeah. Christian education movement. Yeah. And, you know, when you, when you elevate it on Fox or you talk about it more, more scrutiny is going to come, maybe more demand will come. Um, and is the movement ready? Do we want that? Is this the right collaboration? We prayed about it a lot and, and we went forward. And the response has been far greater than anything we could have we could have done um and that's why uh, i i know god had a hand in every part of it um it, it ended up being it has been the best-selling non-fiction education book in america in the last 20 years wow uh, in the last 20 years our publisher said they went over all the data they said it, it blow, i mean it sales like we never could have expected and here there's two factors to it the first and this is what one of the outcomes, the outcome that I'm most proud of from it. Two first factors, you know, you got Fox, you got publicity, you've got a lot of energy, you know, great, but that'll give you a flash in the pan of, of interest. And okay, people go to Amazon, they click, they buy the book. It's, it's David's network of the association of classical Christian schools and classical Christian schools across the country who've bought it, who handed out, who handed out to prospective families who yeah. handed out to visiting families who handed out to the families there handed out to people who th are thinking about planting a school or starting a school yeah. the amount of people who have said i bought i bought 30 copies and i give them to everyone whose kid is in a government school and yeah. i give them to and that has continued i mean it's one of these things where the tail end of sales has continued and and it, the real credit belongs to the network that david built and i, I talked to him last week and he said pete in a normal year before the book came out, we would have maybe a dozen new startup schools. And he said, since the books come come out, we've had a hundred to two hundred a year. Like it's just, and you know, COVID has something to do with yeah. that, of yep. course. Yep. Uh, where we are as, as a country and a culture, but uh, it it's I think it was the right book at the right time from the right perspective that that was part problem identification with a real solution in there that people can go to classicalchristian.org, search the map, find an icon of a school near them and do something that there isn't one, they can go about starting one. And so the follow through is David's got another book coming out next year. I think it's roughly called Battle Plan, which is more of a user guide of how you would start a school or how you would go about yeah. thinking about starting a school. And then I've gotten to know people like Lee Bortons of Classical Conversations, yeah. and all these other yeah. networks. Yep of amazing Christians who are out there have been doing this long before I identified it. And so I guess my role has been to help try to popularize it, standing on the shoulders of all these people for 40 years who've built this network and built these schools and, and they are the answer. So I'm actually, you know, far more optimistic than I was when we started the project, which is education is, you know, has been completely taken over and what do we do about it? And I, the next book I'm doing is called battle for the American military or something like Ooh, that. It's okay. an expose of, 
not just how the military went woke, but um, yep. how the military allowed itself to go woke. Wow. And, when's that? When's that going to come out? It'll come middle of next year. And, okay. you know, whereas Battle for the American Mind is a 100 year progressive takeover, the military. And yeah, there's some things before Obama, but it really has been a decade and a half project. Ooh, wow. You know, um, uh, G.K. Chesterton describes his conversion in um, uh, Orthodoxy. Orthodoxy. He, he said it, it, was, it was like I was setting out to sell from Britain and I ended up uh, on this boat and journeyed around the backside of Britain and landed on the beach and thought I discovered a new country. Yeah. And that's, right. and that it was, turns be, out it was England. It turns out it was England the whole time. Yeah. And he's like, well, I, the, all that Christian heritage was there in front of me this whole time. And I never realized it. Right. And it seems like a little bit, um, that's kind of your journey in terms of like classical <laughs> Christian education. That is absolutely my journey. And a lot of it comes back to classical Christian education in researching it. We still didn't have all of our kids in classical Christian education. And it became this TikTok, TikTok of like every moment they're not getting what I know they could be getting, should be getting. And I never got, I'm abdicating a responsibility as a parent. Ooh. And, and, and then once they were, it turns out, you know, pro education properly understood with Christ at the center has a generational impact in the other direction. Yeah. It actually ends up educating <laughs> That's glorious. Me. Yeah. And I realize I didn't learn any of this stuff. Yeah. I don't, I don't know the, you know, the entirety of Western civilization and how it's tethered together and the, you know, the Old Testament. I mean, I, I heard it in church, but one Sunday a week doesn't get it done, especially when you're checking boxes. You, if an education system doesn't actually tell the story in a way that has, you know, God woven throughout it, you're, you're just, you're untethered. You're, you find yourself saying, well, I guess I'll just fight for the flag and fight for America because it's a really good yeah. place. But like, what if America's been totally abdicated by, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a godless uh, agenda, which it has today. So it's, it yeah. has been a, I love that. You'll have to, what book was that uh, from Chesterton? Orthodoxy. It's a great, that, it's that, such a great book. That's how I feel. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll, I'll let you ask a question here in a minute. I got, I got another I, one. I, I'm we, part of this interview. I know, I know. I, know. Record. <laughs> <laughs> I should have turned my call into Pete with like two hours yeah. earlier. Um, Pete, what would you say to parents? Because you obviously made the change. You pulled your kids out of whatever school you're li living in. I, when we talked, you said you, you pulled your family, you moved your family to Tennessee Put your kids in a classical Christian education. I mean, you made the big change, but there's a lot. It's a hard change, especially if your kids are in public school, which is free. Right. You yeah. aren't paying for it. Um, Not really free. It, right. <laughs> there's no free lunch. <laughs> um, and and so what would you say to parents who have to make like this? It's a big decision. Um, how, how would you help them make that? Yeah, we try to thread the needle in the book of saying, you know, as you read this, we're not here to impugn you as a parent for who the decisions that you've made thus far. And that's yeah. why I say, I, I have been in your shoes. I am in your shoes. And I grew up in public school. My dad was a public school teacher. My default assumption is that my kids would go to public school. If it's good enough for me, it's good enough for them. That's, that's the baseline at which I come at this project. And after seeing everything I've seen and what classical Christian education looks like, other than, you know, how you introduce your kids to Jesus Christ, where you go to church and how you conduct your family life at home. Yeah. It's the big, it's the most significant decision you will make for your kids in their most formative years, whether or not it reinforces the things that you value. I, I, I just look at them and I, my, my, 
I step back and say, think of all, because it does often become a financial decision with a lot of the buddies that I know who are like yeah. nominally, um, they're conservative, they're Christian, but they're kind of nominal, but they really do care about how their kids are raised. I say, think about how much money you spend on vacations or on a new vehicle or on, you know, any number of things that you use your disposable income on. If you wanted to find a way to educate your child differently, you could. It very, and most of these schools have scholarship programs yep. that they that they yeah. fundraise for, so that parents without the means can send their kids. I just said, what is it worth to you to have a, you know, all these things at eight in 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 your own home or in your own life, and then your kid is eighteen and is a Marxist or thinks they're the other gender yeah. or is mm. self-loathing. Um, because they've been indoctrinated to believe because they're white, they're racist automatically. Uh, those, because the amount of stories I've heard from parents who said, "I lost my kids, I lost my kids, I lost my kids, I lost my kids." Yeah. We thought we were we thought we were deprogramming. We were trying to deprogram, but the the sixteen thousand hours, which is was the working uh, title of the book, yeah, sixteen thousand hour war, overwhelmed us because of. The teachers are experts and we're just the parents and the religion thing on Sundays over here on the side, it's a separate sphere. And it's, a, it's the only gift that you as a parent, um, you know, have to make a financial decision on about whether or not you invest in your kids. So it, it we, we go into a, a whole chapter trying to break down the preconceived notions of parents who don't think it's an option. And my wife, it said to me yesterday, I mean, she kind of got teary eyed a little bit. And just said, I'm so grateful that we made that move. We just uprooted and moved. Yeah. And our kids, you know, they have some memories of where we were before, but it's a total trajectory. And we're trying to integrate church life and home life and school life in into a comprehensive worldview that prepares them for the battle to come. Because we're in a spiritual battle. And otherwise, we'd be sending our kids in as fodder. Uh, okay, Toby, you can you can ask the question now. I, I like to thank you, Ken. Thank you. Um, I I like to tell parents sometimes. Just I mean, um, so often I think Christians settle uh, for just surviving. Like their goal is basically let's survive. And I but if, if but if, but you're absolutely right, Pete. I mean, and if we're thinking about this in terms of a battle, like the goal of an army is not to survive. The goal of an army is to win. And, yes. and so, and so we're not, we don't want to be sending our kids to a place where we hope they survive. Um, we, we want to send them to a place where they're being trained to take back ground. Right. We want to send that. We want to be sending them to places where they're being trained um, to do damage to the enemy. Mm. And, and too often we have such a, a low, low expectations yeah. of what we're actually aiming that. for. And, and, you know, from the church community that I grew up in as a, as a kid and sort of, through the day, there was a lot of this. We're going to be salt and light. We're going to be salt and light. We're yeah. going to be salt and light. You're not going to be salt and light when you're 13, right? Yeah. Um, surrounded by friends staring at their iPhones, wanting to be popular. When you're going to church on Wednesday night and Sunday afternoon, I'm I'm a testament of it. You're yep. just going to be consumed by it. That's right. And especially today, um, we write. We, we, I think you're. I mean, you almost quoted exactly what you said in the book. We don't need, we can't have survivors. We need to have warriors. Yeah. And and that's the only option. Amen. All right. I, I, I've got a couple questions for you now. I wanted to push uh, the, um, sometimes people say like, what is a classical education for people? Um, sometimes I want to ask those kind of questions. Um, maybe they're, they've been trained to think primarily in terms of like, you need a, you know, your STEM education so right. you can get that job in engineering or whatever. And, and, and so I had a couple 
particular questions and you can take whichever one you want, Pete, but um, specifically, how do you think a classical Christian education changes the way we think about politics and then, and, or, um, and you can do both or the other one or the other or both. Um, what about how does the classical Christian education change the way um, we would do journalism and media? media? Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, how did, how would that impact um, our work in the public square? Also our work in journalism and media. Well, first of all, I think it, it fits squarely with what um, cross politic does. It puts Christ at the center um, and of everything in a way that, you know, you're the yellow school bus government school crowd, there is zero, I mean, there's none. Um, so it's a complete reversal uh, on on that side of what matters the most and, and, and how truth, beauty, and goodness are reflected through God's creation. So that, and then the otherwise, the education is meant to liberate the mind. It's what liberal arts used to be. It's right. critical thinking. You are able to, uh, use logic and reasoning and deduction and identify fallacies. By the way, these are all things that I've just learned now because I didn't learn them in school. Right. Like I remember mocking in sort of joking with my friends saying, Oh, hooked on phonics work for me. Remember hooked on phonics? Yeah. <laughs> it was like as it, a joke. It kind of worked like, for I me. I need phonics because <laughs> I don't know how to diagram a sentence. Like it's yeah. the whole thing. So as it pertains to your first question was politics, right? Right. Yeah. I just, I think it, it it alleviates this belief that politics is going to save us, mm-hmm. and which is, I think, the the lens through which I looked at, um, yeah. you know, going, wandering my way through books and going to the Harvard Kennedy School. I mean, what a waste! What an absolute waste of two years where I I, I could have formed my character and my soul and my worldview. Instead, I just punched a ticket because that's where the the elite kids. I mean, it's just. The, it I, it totally reverses the perspective of what the world values vis-a-vis what Christians should be defending, standing up for, and valuing. And when you come in from that perspective, sure, you can engage politically, but you realize that's not where we win for the kingdom. Uh, ultimately, we should invest and we should fight and we should um, do what's best for our fellow countrymen in that perspective, but it's not going to save us. And I think most people in media, most people in politics, it's a zero-sum game. And frankly, that's why oftentimes the left is so effective is because politics becomes their religion. Um, I I just think it prepare also on the media side and journalism side, I just think it prepares kids and teenagers and young adults to do the types of thing that you're doing, hmm. to be in, involved in uh, media, alternate media, real journalism. I mean, journalism today is an extension of the Democrat Party, an mm. extension of the bureaucracy, a mouthpiece for the state. Um, think it, There's no critical thinking, and they know who their targets are, and it's not their buddies at the country club. And so classical Christian education is a, is a real elite education that tethers you to the wisdom of the past uh, and allows you to identify all, so not all, it's not say it's not doesn't make perfect kids. Yeah. Identify so many of the the fallacies, lies, and misdirection of of modern America, whether it's medicine or uh, you know journalism or uh, social media that are, kids are awash, and it just gives them a fighting chance to be to move, push past that and be the kind of warriors we need them to be. 
I'm going to read this ad, okay. and then you can ask then, a question, Gabe. I'll give you back it's my turn again. I'll, I'll let you ask a question. <laughs> okay. How are you paying for your health care, and how's it working out? If it's working perfectly, great. If not, then listen closely, because I have a solution for you, a biblical solution. Samaritan Ministries is a community of Christians who pay one another's medical bills. Here's how it works. When a medical need arises for you, you choose the provider that's right for you, and you have a say in the treatment you receive, even if it's a non-conventional approach. Your medical bills are then shared with fellow members who help you pay for them. And then your need is also covered in prayer. It's affordable. You can join anytime. You can even join today. And you can learn more at SamaritanMinistries.org slash CrossPolitik. That's SamaritanMinistries.org slash Cross politic. Um, my dad's generation was, you know, um, uh, our our pastor that that um, uh, pastor Doug Wilson was yep. the one that started ACCS Association of Christian Classical Schools. Yep. Yep. Um, that David Goodwin now runs the president. Yeah. Um, and but Doug started Logos, which is a, probably one of the first classical Christian schools in this rebirth movement. Really, it's it's, right. it's been around forever. Classical Christian education has been around for a long time. Right. But it it kind of a rebirth in the early eighties. And, and my dad um, started, we were living in Texas at the time and he worked with our pastor to start a Christian classical school. And I think 1993 is what it was. Okay. And um, it was like half day school. You'd go from 8 AM to noon and, okay. you know, it was kind of a hybrid classical Christian education. And, and I remember um, my, my, my mom and dad homeschooled us. My dad worked at Texas instruments at a blue collar job. Right. And I remember him telling me, he's like, we need to do this. And he wasn't, he never graduated college. Yeah. And I don't, I, I would love to, he's passed away now, but I would love to ask him, what made you think of, why did you start a Christian classical school? Yeah. Why, why, why this? this? And my dad even said, um, he's like, I'll put this education on my credit card if I have to. Huh. And I remember just like the, what that communicated to me. Right. My dad was willing to sacrifice so much for, for this education. Right. Um, I wish I would have taken it more seriously when I was in high school because of that, you know, but, um, I, I can't emphasize enough how much kids, when they see their parents sacrifice for them, right? The kids see it. Yes. It hits the kids in a way that no other kind of, you know, parenting technique, right? Um, it, it, you'll, you'll employ will, will hit them. Right. And so, you know, this goes back to, I think Pete's kind of answer earlier. It's like when you are sacrificing for your kids in a, in a very noble way, your kids see it and it changes their lives. Yeah. And I think God used that in my life, even though I was a, not a very good student. Um, God used that in my life to to have a respect for classical Christian education um, uh, in a way that I don't think I ever would have because I saw my dad sacrifice in it and how he communicated it to me yeah. and everything. And I think parents, you know, who are trying to, who are waffling or having a challenge with that discussion. Should I take my kids out of public school? Yeah. Should I put them in a, you know, classical Christian school? You know, yeah. that's a big decision. But don't discount what that sacrifice communicates to your kids as you as you raise them. Not really a question there, Pete, but it was just nope. making you just making me think. Uh, that's why we dedicate the book. The book is dedicated to those families and those schools forty years ago who saw what was missing, did the homework, and forged a movement that now we're standing on the shoulders of a generation later. Um, the Doug Wilsons and the others. We met, I think there were three schools. Um, and originally kind of in different places that started yeah. in the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now there are, you know, I don't know what it is today, five, 600 and, and yeah. 
growing massively. So people saw it and sacrificed for it. And that's why I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, I'm obviously I'm, I believe in the movement, but every time I drop my kids off at school, just like anywhere else, we drive by four massive middle schools and massive high schools, yeah. you know, to go to the small country classical Christian school, you realize the size and scope of what government schools are able to do. You know, I, I think at the same time, fundamentally, um, if we have God's blessing on this effort, I think we win. Um, it's your apology. We have, oh, really? You can yeah, do that? I just did that. You just did that. Um, I, but, but I'm serious. Like, I mean, that's yeah. in, in Deuteronomy, it says that, I mean, if God's blessing is on you, then, you know, uh, one will chase a hundred, 10 will chase a thousand. And I think, and if you also, you know, flip it around and you say like, what, what got us into this mess? I mean, I mean, this is a slow, I mean, we've been brewing this special sewage mess yeah. for, for a while, for a while. But I would also say like over the last couple of decades, we've had a very, very motivated minority. I mean, like the LGBT, you know, woke jihad is, um, you know, what, what a percentage of our population, you know, some, some like minuscule percentage maximum, probably like 6%, yeah, but, you know, but when it's said it was probably like one yeah. or 2% yeah. uh, or less. And, and, um, and I think, you know, if they're able to do that with their angst, with their envy, with their despair, with their self-loathing, um, what can God's people do with his blessing? And I, I think it's massive. And I, and I think we need to be thinking in terms of um, these classical Christian schools are boot camps uh, yeah, for, right. for winning back America. This, these are boot, totally these are. And we we kind of make that argument by saying it's always been the one, two, three percent. That's right. Um, that and, and, and on our side, that's what these that's what the crop of these classical Christian schools are going to do in a generation. Yeah. Thing policy answers like school choice while they're great. That's phase two stuff later on. Once, once the the foothold has been taken, once the recruits have graduated boot camp, uh, and we call it a tactical retreat. Actually, mm -hmm. we we draw out in the last part of the book what an educational insurgency would look like because I was a counterinsurgency instructor in Afghanistan and kind of the phases that Mao wrote about. Yeah. And we're in middle phase one right now, which is effectively a tactical retreat where you regroup, consolidate, and reorganize. Yep. And as you do so. You build your army underground with with the opportunity later on of uh, of 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 taking offensive operations in an overt way, mm -hmm. and obviously all of this is metaphorical and all that good stuff. But <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but, but you're exactly right. I I have I share that same optimism. I I, no. I see the um, how stacked it is against us, but it doesn't mean that. Um, the battle is lost. I mean, we're in this because we've we've got uh, we're on the right side of it. I got a, a political question I just thought of because um, I've been kind of mulling this over this last couple of days. You know, um, uh, Lauren Bobart got kind of felt up in a movie theater a um, couple couple days ago or whatever last weekend. Um, and there's a lot of Republicans that have come out against her. And I, I think I think it's a fair shot. Um, uh, it was shameful what she did publicly in and um, uh, but at the same time, these Republicans that have kind of come after her, um, they also, the way I put it is like, they also felt us up and in, in the Trump and Republican administration um, just took $5 trillion of stimulus from us during COVID and they justified it with COVID. And, and actually it's the Republicans who are responsible for our inflation. If we're going to pin inflation on any party right now, it should be Republicans because they're the ones who voted for that 5 trillion in stimulus right now. Of course the Biden administration is absolutely 
exacerbated the inflation problem with, with their um, uh, transportation bills and all that stuff. Um, how do we kind of, you know, my concern is with the Republican Party. I don't care. Democrats are going to Democrat. They're going to be socialists and all that stuff. But like the Republican far- Party, to me, I think my generation's kind of frustrated with the Republican Party because we, we see this um, hypocrisy in the Republican Party and all the Republicans are trying to do is trying to, you know, maybe one up each other to maintain power, but they won't call each other all out for the true hypocrisy that's going on. They'll go after Bobert for one thing, but then they give themselves a pass on the $5 trillion that they just stole from the American people. Um, how are you processing, you know, our, what we'd call our party in all this? <laughs> it's a great question. Uh, you're right. Democrats get a Democrat. Um, and the reality is, is they, I mean, Mark Levin's got a new book coming out. I've read it because I'm interviewing on him. It's fascinating. And, you know, others have written about the nature of the Democrat Party. But, I mean, it's effectively the party of the state. They control all levers inside and outside. Yeah. Um, our, our speech engines, our uh, academies, our corporations, our media, uh, Hollywood, you name it. They they have the prerogative to control it. And so on on our on our side, I mean, I'm you know, I'm kind, I'm kind of of. The problem is, is that you've had an, a cozy establishment on the Republican side that got away with the argument of, uh, well, we need to win elections and we need to be electable. And as a result, we need certain candidates in certain places who look a lot more like Democrats than they do Republicans, but then we'll win. And then when we get in office and we'll do something about it. Well, sometimes we win and usually we don't. And then even when we get in an office, we definitely don't do yeah. anything about it. Right. And there, there has been, I mean, since Reagan effectively... Um, I mean, I found myself making that argument 10 years ago. Um, there's, I think there's a lot under since Trump because of, and this is not about Trump, but because of the reaction to him and his willingness to fight, if imperfectly, yeah. the left has come out of the tall grass for the Marxists that they are. Really? They hid it for a really long time. Now yeah. we know exactly who they are. And so there really is a time for choosing of who we are and what we represent. And I just don't have that much time anymore for the get along, go along. I have no time anymore for the get along, go along Republicans who look and act and sound just like Democrats because they want a seat at the table in Washington, DC. And I think a second term for Trump represents such a threat to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, look at, so I actually think that the situation is better than then you kind of stated it not to disagree with it. If you look at the Republican primary right now, the top three vote getters are effectively uh, America first candidates. 62 percent Trump, 10, 15 percent DeSantis and like 8 percent Ramaswamy. That's like 82 or 83 percent of the Republican Party has effectively said we, the way we've done politics in the in the past. Yeah, that's good. Needs to end. So I, I do think there's a realization that playing patty cake doesn't work anymore. But the left is still really good at, I mean, let's think of all the things that Democrat congressmen do or have done or or, or Hunter Biden and all. And right. then they yell all day long about Lauren Boebert because she made a mistake and someone was filming her in the middle of a, a movie theater. Right. You know, I, right. I, I, I don't, you know, it's it's they they play with a stacked deck. Yep. And it finds me muting my outrage on some things because they they want us to play into it and, yeah. and fight our, fight each but other. But I also think that's like part of their play is they want us to mute our moral stances. Right. Correct. Right? They, they kind of point. Yeah. You know, they they, they kind of want us to minimize. So then it kind of we end up justifying. Yeah. 
and then and then we play their game. Yeah, uh, it's 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 cha- it's a challenging situation because we gotta we gotta um, keep equal weights and measures. Yep. The word of God is right. Gotta remain right. standard. Uh, we can't let our just our friends have a pass. Yep. And yep. At the, and at the same time, we gotta we gotta keep fighting for the truth. Yep. But um, uh, man, I'm I'm really grateful to meet you. Pete. I know. I, yeah. I'm really grateful for your work. I'm grateful for this book. Um, I think it's it's doing really good work. And um, uh, am I going to close this out? Are you going to close, close this out? out. Are you going to close this out? But I, I'm I'm really grateful, and I hope we can keep working together, Pete. I appreciate appreciate you guys. I would love to. Um, let's do it again. And I I really really appreciate what you guys represent the the boldness with which um, you talk about culture and politics and faith and everything. This movement is a you know David and others. Uh, it's special. It's important. It's creating an opportunity for us. Um, to frankly uh, give our kids a fighting chance in this country as Christians. And uh, I applaud you for everything you do. So oh, I'm going to clip that and turn it into commercial. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, if you're single, get married. If you're married, have kids. If you have kids, go baptize them. Until next time. Go love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic, and Knox is fired. <laughs> Knox! <laughs> we did it. We didn't know without Knox. Thank you. I'm David Reese, Chief Executive Officer of Armored Republic. We've been around for over a decade, serving you now, trying to provide tools of liberty to free men to be able to resist tyrants and criminals to the honor of Christ. And we've created a lot of content to help you to understand products, to help you to understand how bullets get stopped, and you've seen a lot of cool things. But we've decided it's time to share some of what we have internally. A lot of people ask us what it is that we're about, what it is we're trying to accomplish, and the name captures what we're trying to accomplish. Armored Republic is the idea that we want to see our republic armored. We want it to be hardened. We want it to be defensible. We want to guard, watch, keep, preserve, maintain the things that have been attained to. And so guarding that is a part of this armoring. We believe that if we can provide armor to you, if we can equip you, if we can give you knowledge, if we can help you to resist the nonsense that's dominant in the spirit of the age, and if you have all of that, we've equipped you with tools of liberty. Tools of Liberty includes intellectual ammunition. It includes the skill to be able to resist. It includes body armor itself, plate carriers, belts, IFACs to be able to heal up, stitch up, to be able to stop the bleed. Right? These are the things that we're trying to get to you. Now, as we think about that, a part of what's happened is there's 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 sort of this, this, this sense in which there's a feeling of the tearing of the fabric of society. And so people don't know what it is that they should be doing. They don't know what to do, what to guard, where, where to gather. We want to encourage you to be able to gather free men who know what liberty is, who know that liberty is not a license to do wickedness, but it is the power to do righteousness in the face of, of tyrants and criminals. It is the ability to say no, and it's the ability to say yes to the right things. It's the ability to build. You need sword and trowel. You have to be able to put things together. So what we're trying to do now is trying to communicate more and more what it is to armor the Republic. And in addition to that, what is a Republic that we're guarding and trying to build? Republic's not just another word for democracy, which is the rule of the people. The rule of the people is, is, is two wolves and a sheep voting who's for dinner. If you, if you have a pure democracy, all you're gonna do is vote on who to kill, and you're gonna vote on whose wallet to pick. That's not what America is about. America is a republic if we can keep it. The Constitution attempts to capture the God-given rights that we receive as a heritage. 
It recognizes them. It does not give them. It does not grant them. But it rather establishes a clear public recognition of the rights that we have. What we are trying to do is to help to educate and strengthen and unite a movement to see that liberty does not perish from the land. This is Armored Republic. And in a republic, there is no king but Christ.